It's time for the NHS to get back to normal. This is the uh, statement that we are making in today's episode where I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Evans, who is the co-founder and director of the UK Medical Freedom Alliance. Uh, as many of you will know, whilst we have an international audience, uh, England in particular were one of the first nations to remove all COVID uh, restrictions, or so it seems. Uh, however, that is not strictly the case, as we are still witnessing COVID-related protocols, measures and restrictions within the NHS and the hospital and healthcare system. Um, so today we're going to address this issue and talk about why it's time for the NHS to get back to normal and remove uh, these uh, protocols from within the hospitals. And it's my pleasure to be joined uh, today by Dr. Elizabeth Evans uh, to un unpack this, uh, this, this idea, but also how, how we can go about achieving this through uh, a brand new campaign that the UK Medical Freedom Alliance have uh, put together. So I want to begin, um, Dr. Evans, by firstly welcoming you to the show. Thank uh, you. It's been great to work alongside you over the last couple of years. Um, Feel strange saying Dr. Ev Dr. Evans and the Elizabeth here. But firstly, I would like to explore and unpack why, what led you to beginning uh, co founding the UK Medical Freedom Alliance so we can get a bit of back background on what, what led to this, uh, this, this journey that will, will result in the campaign that we talk about today. Okay, so um, thanks very much for having me on. Um, I would say that um, my even before COVID, uh, my experiences had led me to the point where I was able to set up a UK Medical Freedom Alliance. So I had been a doctor for about four years. Um, I'd had some health problems and recovered using nutritional complementary medicines. Um, so was on a different pathway, um, sort of um, health and disease wise of the way the paradigm shift between how I'd seen you know, health and disease when I was a doctor and then actually seeing my body get better and using other other methods. So after I had my kids, I retrained in complementary medicine um, and was have been seeing patients for about the last 11 years, helping them on their journeys to health. Um, and in the meantime, had got really interested in health effects from wireless radiation. Uh, so I became um, a speaker and campaigner um, on that topic, which obviously is also a controversial topic. So I've got a bit of background in um, fighting big industries and speaking out on unpopular subjects and subjects that are heavily censored where the science is there, but it's not being reported. Um, uh, I set up Stop Smart Meters UK. Um, I was on a, a, an organization called FIRE, which is Physicians Health Initiative on Radiation in the Environment. So I'd had all of that behind me and then COVID hit. And um, my family will laugh at me, but for the first three weeks, I did actually follow the rules. Um, although I was not at all scared of the virus because I knew that we were healthy. We had, I got all the vitamins in, we were gonna be fine. But I said to my kids, you know, out of respect, we should, you know, let's just see what's going on. We'll only go out once a day for a walk. And I was really strict about it. But while this was going on, I was really obsessively starting to watch the data, watch, you know, work out what was going on. And after about the, actually the first thing that really concerned me was that that the new normal, they mentioned that phrase on the BBC about two and a half weeks into the lockdown. And I thought, that's strange. That doesn't make any sense at all. So then my sort of intuition had sort of kicked in. And probably about four or five weeks in, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Why is this continuing? So 
over the next few months, I began to what I now say is do a PhD in COVID. So I was obsessively listening to podcasts, you know, um, Ivor Cummings was amazing. Um, Started following the high wire, listening to Robert F. Kennedy and was getting this really strong feeling by the summer that we were in real trouble. Um, I could see that something was very wrong. Um, And it became very apparent that it was heading towards probably mandatory vaccines and vaccine passports. So even by July, August 2020, I thought this is not good. And we had no medical freedom movement at all in the UK. Um, Whereas obviously in America, I'd learned that they, most states have them. It's because they've had mandatory vaccines, you know, for, for children for many years. So they've needed a health freedom movement. We've never needed one because we've always had our autonomy respected in this country. There hasn't really been any mandates on medical treatment. So um, I remember going for a walk with my husband in September 2020. And he said, well, what are you going to do with all this knowledge you've got? You know, are you going to join us for them or are you going to join Save Our Rights? And I've been to a few protests. And the next day it just came to me. We need to set up a medical freedom movement and no one else is doing it. So I'm going to do it. And I put out a little request on Facebook and got inundated. I said, we need scientists, doctors, um, uh, healthcare workers and lawyers. And I spent the next two or three weeks like inundated with emails from people offering to help. Um, So in October 2020, we kind of cobbled together a team of people, had a meeting and within about two weeks, we were faced with the vaccine rollout. Um, And I knew that there were massive issues with that, even at that point. So we we reached out to people like um, Joe from Lawyers for Liberty. We had um, Mina Ju from uh, CAC UK. And we managed to cobble together a 14 page open letter um, detailing all of our concerns over the potential vaccine rollout. So we wanted to get a letter in the MHRA and JCBI before um, the rollout happened. And we got it in about four days before. Um, And it's really interesting. I read it again the other day and we had nailed most of the points that everyone's talking about now. So the relative risk, absolute risk, the lack of informed consent, the you know, the gene therapy, the risk of ADE. So all of that is in our letter that we sent in to say, this is why you cannot roll this out yet. It's not safe. Um, so there, then it just began. And we've been sort of, you know, full pelt ever since then, working full weeks. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a journey. Well, I, I, it's fascinating to hear the backstory, actually, because you and I have worked closely together for a period of time, and uh, I wasn't actually fully familiar with, with the origin story of the UK Medical Freedom Alliance. It hadn't struck me, actually, uh, why we don't have such a body in the UK, because mm-hmm. we've been quite fortunate, as you stated, to have that uh, bodily autonomy. Um, mm-hmm. But not only have we had that medical freedom, we, we've actually been up until this point relatively I say relatively because I've started to witness it through the cracks now, but relatively free from coercion, at yes. least until the pandemic hit. You know, mm-hmm. so so even with the the childhood vaccination schedule, uh, you know, the, the, there's obviously um, marketing and materials that, that go to parents, and, and uh, but but it's 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 been nothing like what we've witnessed with the pandemic and the the, the really um, uh, coercive campaigns to, mm. to to influence and persuade someone to take a product without full information so i, I want to honor 
the fact that you not only witnessed that this was the problem, um, but you actually immediately formed a solution. And I think that's 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 a conversation in itself, because what we're seeing is people who are coming to an understanding that we've got these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it takes a rare character then to go from understanding to action, whereby they take bold action and, and form an organization like you have done for the UK uh, Freedom Alliance. And I think Medical Freedom Alliance. And I think what, what, what's, what's important to realize now is that this organization will likely be required <laughs> for years to come now. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, because, and, and is your fear that we're going to see this type of approach becoming more and more common? I mean, I think what has happened to informed consent and bodily autonomy and, you know, ethical medicine, um, the destruction of ethical medicine over the last two years has even gone beyond what I thought was, you know, possible in 2020. It's been absolutely shocking. Um, So, yes, I think there's been huge, huge damage done to the practice of ethical medicine, Um, you know, first do no harm the Hippocratic Oath has been there for what 3,000 4,000 years and it was you know such um it, it was genius I mean that that is so key to how when you're a doctor or a nurse and you've got someone's life in your hands and you are dealing with their health and it's the you know they're at their most vulnerable and it's a very intimate and very um privileged position you are in and um just to know in that space, you know, that they people always said the doctor patient relationship is sacred. It's like the patient has to have that trust to know the doctor is doing their absolute best for them in that moment, but treating them with complete respect that they are advising and they are not telling, they are not using their position to enforce or coerce anybody into anything. Um, we're all different and the only person who knows themselves best is the person and you know so what might be right for one is not right for another and we we're, we've moved very very swiftly into this one size fits all you know you've got people who can't get medical exemptions who've reacted to the first dose of the vaccine you know i mean on what planet would you give you know say in the past if someone had had, had antibiotics and had an anaphylactic reaction if a doctor then went and prescribed antibiotics again for them the same antibiotic they'd be struck off because that's negligent you know whereas people were being told by public health authorities well you know just go to the hospital you can have your second vaccine there in case you have anaphylaxis you know just such craziness you can't believe that this is being said by you know qualified professional um healthcare practitioners Yes. So, yes, I think that's going to take a lot to undo the damage and return to that place where there's this real mutual respect between doctor and patient. Yes, I, I think the other component that you've mentioned there, which I think is really important, is the patient journey and this, their, their own sovereignty in their, mm-hmm. their, their own health. Because mm-hmm. you and I were, were at the um, medical, uh, the Better Way conference, and the, 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 story, the, the clear message for me was that the best way to create a healthcare revolution is to, to revolutionize your own healthcare journey and be an example, yeah. a role model for good health. And I think uh, that's a really excellent starting point. But then uh, our relationship with medical practitioners, healthcare practitioners, um, is, is of a functional guidance nature. You know, it's, it's, it's the doctor patient relationship of authority, uh, uh, I think, is changing. Um, mm-hmm. But, 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 
but prior to it changing, it's it's reached this point where the 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 authority principle is kind of doubled down through these kind of coercive practices. So, yeah. I, I think there is there is a risk that this will continue with other vaccinations, uh, other other adult and childhood vaccinations. And I think this 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 type of resistance that you've created is is hugely important uh, to, to to maintain the, the long held principles of the um, Hippocratic Oath, as you mentioned. Now, I know you've worked on countless campaigns over the last couple of years, yeah. um, and we're here to talk about a very specific mm-hmm. new campaign that you're working on right now. Uh, we're here to address the question of uh, it being time to return to normal within the NHS. Mm-hmm. Um, and to uh, help us talk about this uh, campaign, I think you've got a number of slides you'd like to share oh, with yeah. us to, to okay. talk us to talk us through. Okay, let me just find them. Thank you. Okay, so, so yeah, we've started um, the NHS Back to Normal campaign. Um, we dis- uh, we've obviously been fighting um, government mandates, policies um, on various issues for the last couple of years, but now the government um, have dropped most of the legislation. But there are pockets um, of uh, of the society where there's um, still abnormality occurring where it just is is very dysfunctional and I think the very uh, core of that is the NHS Um, because obviously the whole thing started with us having to save the NHS Uh, people hold it in very high esteem um, and and look up to it and I think while there is this complete disconnect with what is going on you know when you arrive in a healthcare facility compared to when you're out in society um you know, you go into a restaurant now or a pub, we were in a pub last night and, you know, it's heaving, everyone's behaving normally, people are hugging, um, you go to the cinema, you can go um, pretty much anywhere and most people are normal, it's, it's un, you know, unusual now in shops to see masks and yet you turn up at a healthcare facility and it's like you're in a time warp, um, you know, it's like you're back in those days of 2020 where, um the, the screens, the masks, the the notices everywhere, um, the restrictions. It's just, it, it's now at this point so disconnected from the rest of society. The, I think we have to say we're going into summer now. We've had two years, over two years of this. Um, we, ha- we were only meant to be doing three weeks to flatten the curve. If we don't stop this now, this becomes normal the longer this goes on the harder it is going to be for people to drop it and it is really perpetuating that fear narrative you know and and also it's sending a really strong message to people especially people who are interacting a lot with the nhs that this is not over and that this is still really dangerous so this is this is causing real harm to society i think it's causing huge harm to our public health um it's the restrictions we know are you know massively impacting on the ability to deliver efficient healthcare. Um, we're being told, you know, for months now that the, the waiting lists are, are huge. Um, there was some report, wasn't there, a couple of days ago or some statement saying that the ambulance service is about to basically grind to a halt. There's been a report um, yesterday from the NHS, which is saying that primary care is basically a breaking point. You know, when are we just going to realise that the cure is worse than the disease. Um, we've got to move on because this is not a rational, evidence-based or or proportionate or 
I don't know, it's just, it's just not the way we can continue. This is not how you run, um, you know, a massive health service, which is meant to be catering for everybody's health needs by focusing everyone's minds on one virus um, in, and using all these measures which, which just don't have evidence um, to support them. So uh, we thought we need to um, try to get public pressure to drop the restrictions um, because talking to Paul, actually the NHS themselves, interestingly, are have started to um, announce that they're dropping restrictions, but a lot of the trusts aren't following that. So our main focuses are going to be on mask mandates and visitor restrictions, um, but we'll also be talking about face-to-face um, -face consultations, um, which is a huge issue for misdiagnosis, um, especially in general practice. People don't get to see their GPs, you know, how can somebody do a, you know, I was taught in medical school that you need to get your hands on people to actually examine them. Uh, you you pick up things just from when they walk in the room, you might smell something on their breath that you just know, you know when somebody's sick when you're in the room with them that you may not pick up on a screen or on a telephone. Um, so we've got our, lots of our logos, which we really want people to put on their social media and try to get a bit of noise about this. Um, so unmask the NHS, patient, patients, not prisoners. People are not being allowed to visit their relatives um, in hospital or accompany them into A&E or into outpatients. Um, this is not how you treat um, vulnerable, sick people. Um, it, it's not going to be um, conducive. It's dehumanising. Um, and Keep Britain Free have kind of um, jumped in and done a fantastic survey, uh, which really highlight that this is an issue. So this is just a 24 hour, um, sort of after the first 24 hours of putting this survey out to their members, um, they asked a few questions. So what is your NHS experience as a patient? And you'll see that, I mean, they, they had about, I don't know, 150 responses at this point, but the, you know, nearly half of the people were reporting terrible experience uh which i don't think would have been the case two or three years ago and obviously this is a self-selecting population you know people who are following a kbf but um i think you know this this shows that there is an issue that we need to address and as a relative it's even worse because often the relatives aren't allowed in they can't be with their loved ones hold their hands you know share bad news and 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 bad bad experiences with them um and the main causes um, in this little little snapshot of, of the negative experiences were around masks, particularly uh, treatment, but also the visiting. So I think those are the real keys. Um, but I think what's interesting is then that staff attitudes were a big issue. And I think when you treat people um, or when you create a culture and an environment which is very dehumanized, where people are not able to communicate with facial expressions, uh, where they're having to be masked, which is a very, very potent symbol of fear and oppression, um, which dehumanizes the staff as well as the patients. And it can't be pleasant wearing PPE all, all day. I don't think that's going to do much for your morale. Um, and then you've got notices up ordering you around. It, it makes people very frightened. Um, and it, I, I, I think we, after two years of this, it's changed the relationship between staff and patients. Um, and patients are seen as just a bit of, you know, can be seen as more of a, a problem rather than a, a human being um, to be cared with with compassion. So there's been a real loss of compassion. Um, and 
they've also got a few sort of little comments um, from people. And this is this is one of the examples of how painful it is and, and what total devastation it causes not to allow visitors. So this was somebody who couldn't visit her husband um, and nor could their child. And he was in a room for weeks and he died before they were going to get married. I think he was terminally ill, I think is the story behind that. I mean, this should never be allowed to happen in a civilized society. It feels like we have not had a line that we've drawn in this any of this pandemic response where we've said we don't go beyond this point. That's just not not an option. And I think we just we just kept pushing the line further and further and further and have sort of debased our society as a result. Um, this is somebody who is mask exempt, um, but the people who are mask exempt who turn up at the hospital it puts them under huge stress. Um, they may be shamed. So this person was, um, you know, publicly humiliated by a consultant, uh, you know, with the lanyard. Um, and, and the fact that it sort of turns these people who are normally probably lovely, caring healthcare professionals into bullies. Um, and, and again, I can't believe that's happening in this country. Um, and it's having a real impact on people's experience. So there's a lot of anxiety, people reporting anxiety and stress, and also worryingly, a real fear of calling on med for medical help. I think people are now very reluctant to ask for help when they need it, um, and may avoid going to A&E or calling the doctor because they don't trust the health services anymore. They don't feel that their interests are going to be put first. They don't feel safe. And that obviously will come, you know, with its own consequences, uh, which could be, you know, fatal in some cases. And then you've, you've got staff as well. So this doesn't just affect patients. I think this is really, really hard for many staff. Um, and this is a, a member of staff reporting their concerns about um, the lack of ethics, um, bodily autonomy, the fact that informed consent is, is not really being practiced in the way that it should be legally. The patients aren't being treated with dignity or respect, um, uh, safeguarding issues, this, the confidentiality, you know, there seems to be this, this sense now that our information is, is, is anyone's entitled to ask you, you know, a shopkeeper can ask you if you're vaccinated, you know, medical information has always been um, treated as, you know, between the doctor and patient and, and completely confidential. And that's also gone, which is, um, you know, quite abusive. So, yeah, so I think this is affecting everybody. This is not just patients. This is the whole public and members of staff. And it is causing so much harm and so much lasting harm that we really need to um, come back to the NHS constitution. And I was absolutely amazed to read this. And this is on the first page. Um, the, the, the principles are that the NHS belongs to the people. Um, and they say it's there to improve our health and well-being, supporting us to keep mentally and physically well, to get better when we are ill and when we cannot fully recover, to stay as well as we can to the ends of our lives. It works at the limits of science, bringing the highest level of human knowledge and skill to save lives and improve health. It touches our lives at times of basic human need when care and compassion are what matters most. And I think we really need to return to that you know, make them hold to their principles because we have lost this and you cannot do that. You know, you might want to do that for two weeks when you're flattening the curb, but not for not for two or three years.
okay, I'm going to stop sharing. Thank you, Liz. Uh, I mean, that concluding slide is, 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 is to me what's most powerful in the sense that we've lost that human touch, the, the compassionate nature of care. And I, I think healthcare is not the only segment that's suffered from this. Um, you know, even, even recently going into hospitality, uh, into hotels, there's this mute level of experience that's not that warm, welcoming, kind mm. experience that well, I'm not saying it was necessarily abundant prior to the pandemic, but there's a, there's a, there's a, what feels like a seismic shift and where you probably need, it's nice to get looked after at a restaurant, but where you probably need it most mm. is in those times of vulnerability when we are mm. sick, when we're unwell, when we're in trauma, uh, whether physically or mental trauma, where we need support. And, and yet this is absolutely what we're greeted with. We're, this, this this mute experience but not only that these protocols I, I could share a story myself you know sadly many of the audience will know that my son eight month year old son Zach was sick recently he had to go into A&E twice and you know we we're asked to wear masks uh, we we're only allowed one parent in at a time now rest assured we broke both of those rules <laughs> <laughs> and uh, managed to get both myself and Lizzie into the hospital but what, what we weren't able to overcome is the fact that only one pa one parent was able to stay overnight. Uh, my son was really unwell. My wife was incredibly worried. Mm -hmm. Lizzie was, you know, distraught witnessing her son, our son, uh, being so sick. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to stay. Well, I, I, again, I could have broken the rule, but it would have would have led me this time sleeping on the concrete floor. <laughs> um, so, so, but, but, but the, 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 these basic principles of care. Uh, uh, and there are far worse circumstances right now, I know, that, that where people aren't getting that appropriate level of care. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it is time we, we stop. And I think there's a real undercurrent of cultural safetyism yeah. that, that underpins what we're witnessing now. And I think that's, you know, it's, we're becoming germaphobes. And um, yeah. this, this for me is, this is a real flag. It's a real warning sign. Um, uh, so tell us a little bit about the campaign itself and how you propose to overcome this you know there's a there's clearly a need <laughs> yeah so um well we've created the balloons which we want people to share on social media um and we've also written um a number of open letters um which we've got on our campaigns page on our website which i think you're going to put a link up afterwards so We've, we'll be putting up calls for action. The, ma the main call for action now is just to change your social media um, profile photo. Um, but then there's local actions that everyone can take. So if you know your hospital is still restricting visitors, which is actually now, um, interestingly, against the NHS England advice. So their guidance says very clearly from the 8th of March, no patient should attend a hospital alone unless by choice. Everybody is entitled to have somebody with them. So the NHS put that out now, what, nearly three months ago, but there is, and, and many trusts have honoured that, but there is still a small number who have not honoured that and who are blocking visitors and not allowing people to be accompanied or making it very difficult for people. If that's your hospital, we've written um, an open letter to the trust CEO, um, which uh, we've sent it out to all the CEOs, but we would like local people to print it off send it also get their local media involved um, and other residents because i think this is only going to change when we say 
no more. So we need the public behind us. You know, it's all very well for groups like us and people like Dan to put out these calls. But actually, it's when you put public pressure on, you know, if, if your hospital's really bad, get a group of people, you know, go and hold up some signs. We've got lots of hashtags and things we're putting on our, our posts, like, you know, um, patients, not prisoners, or, you know, unmask the NHS, just go and, you know, give out our letters or talk to people, talk to other residents and say that, you know, we can't let this go on anymore, because this is not rational. Um, and it's not, it's not um, healthy. It's a very unhealthy way to be running society. We've written letters about masks uh, in GP practices. Um, so you can serve that on your practice manager, I think. And you could also give that to your dentist or other healthcare uh, settings, because, again, it we're sort of fighting against ind individual um, institutions and businesses now rather than the government. So we need to start holding these people accountable for the decisions and making our displeasure and our dissatisfaction with it really clear. And in our letters, we've you know laid out they're all fully referenced. We've laid out all the arguments. So you've got the you know the benefits and harms. You know um, you've got the ethical issues. You've got the legal issues. So everything is covered in there. So you've got all your arguments um, in our letters, and they're all on our campaign page. And we just really want people to get you know, printing things off and just down to their GP, down to their, you know, local hospital and getting these letters in front of the people who are making the decisions. I think this 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 is so powerful. And I, and I want to, again, share a personal story here because working together in your communities is such a powerful way to, uh, to tackle these issues. Um, when prior to Zach's birth, we, we went in for the routine scans and uh, I remember the first one, both of us were able to attend. And then the second one, um, apparently the room was too small and that only my wife, Lizzie, obviously, I'm not going to get scammed, uh, uh, it, it would be able to attend the appointment. So I politely but assertively challenge the protocols and I took it all the way to the senior management of the hospital mm -hmm. and had a, had a long detailed conversation with the senior management about the protocols, the problems it was causing, the, 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 the implications it can have at what is truly a magical moment in a parent's life. You know, witnessing, you know, the, 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 your, the growing child in, in the womb. Uh, and I said how this was depriving parents of this experience and the, the the lunacy of only letting one parent in when mm -hmm. the likelihood is they not only share a home together but a bed together and if one of them is sick the other one is likely Absolutely. to be sick so and they understood and you know and they, they they quite rightly pointed out that this is policy that had been set from above but i said well isn't it right that we challenge this and take it further and mm -hmm. they actually did and we actually we, uh, just just by one series of conversations changed the policy so that in this particular hospital no other parent would suffer what i went through at that time yeah. so i think individualizing the approach massively it is very powerful here and I, and I believe in people power and i think we can change this um it, it may take more than one individual to do these things i think clubbing together writing letters identifying the specific hospitals is really powerful um, but I think we can overturn this, you know. I think and, and what we've aimed to do is give you the resources. So you've got all your arguments there. You've got the letters. And we've also, um, in our resources section on our website, there's template letters. 
So anyone who's being refused treatment without wearing a mask or without having a test or without having a vaccine, there's a proper legal pre-action template letter that you can personalise and serve to your doctor and your, um, you know, the hospital, whoever's making these decisions. Because I think so many people just like follow orders, don't they? But when the responsibility is put back on them, and they are sort of told, well, you are breaking these, this, this law, you know, this article of the Human Rights Act, this um, bit of the NHS or the GMC and NMC um, code of practice, you know, then people start to actually, you know, take responsibility and are accountable for their decisions. And I think we've got to get these people back to, um, you know, interacting individually with the patient and actually taking responsibility for a decision rather than just following a protocol and abrogating responsibility onto whoever made that protocol. And I think that's what these letters do. And, you know, people have made, have got groups like Stand in the Park now, haven't they? And um, Freedom Network. So, you know, just getting a group of people to go and hand a letter into a hospital with your local media there, you know, that sort of thing can literally change things overnight because some of this is safetyism and I think people like to you know be extra careful and extra cautious but if they learn that this is not popular I think people can change um so I would encourage people also to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Telegram and sign up for our newsletter because we will put out calls for action with all the links um and also wanted to plug the smile free campaign because they're another group um who've been campaigning uh, Gary Sidley and uh, and a group of um, of really really strong campaigners on masks and the damage that masks are causing in healthcare and they've um, got an open letter which you can sign so there's a link on our um, our web page that's our campaigns page um, so do sign that as well uh, I think there's a lot of different campaign groups that are going to come on board with this so uh, yeah grateful to uh, keep Britain free and we're also hoping to get um, the facility on Save Our Rights website to be able to type in your name and address or name and postcode and get a letter sent to your local CCG, which is the overarching body that tells the trusts and the GP practices what to do. Um, so we're hoping that we'll get that facility and it will go to your MP as well. So that will be added to the campaign page as it as it comes. Very powerful. So what, what you can see on the screen now is the campaign page. So you can see the uh, opportunity to download the logo. You'll recognize most likely the, the blue balloons that were used during the Flatten the Mandates campaign that have evolved to uh, tackle this particular issue. You can download the logos there. There's some alternatives here that you can you can get and all the letters that Liz has referred to are, are, are visible here. You can download those and, and send those electronically and uh, physically. So um, I encourage you to go to ukmedfreedom.org uh, forward slash campaigns. The link's on the screen. Uh, well, if, you'll you be go able to if you just go into resources, just show them the template letters so they because that they are quite helpful. So you go to the top down yes. to template letters, so not open letters. And if you just go down, the first three are about healthcare settings. So you've got your medical treatment, refuse without COVID tests, without a mask, and without a vaccine. And that we do know if people have been refused scans, um, if they're not wearing a mask, um, or sometimes treatment without a test. And those have been put together by us and lawyers with with all the information that you should that should be able to get you in if you serve it to the appropriate people. Fantastic. So you've got the campaigns page here and then you've got the resources and the template letters. Yeah. Um, 
there's there's so much uh, great great work that's been done by yourself and the team to to bring this uh, forward for people to be able to participate in. I, I firmly believe that we all have a role to play in change, and mm-hmm. um, I, I think campaigns like this serve as real not only real inspiration but actually giving the practical tools that we need to take um, action in a very simplest uh, simple way, so that people can actually. Uh, with the click of a button, take take action on this campaign. So uh, firstly, I'd encourage people to, to take up the blue balloons. It'd be good to flood social media again with those balloons. Yes. Uh, after the success of the Flatten the Mandates campaign, we'll see those all over social media. Uh, but then the resources there as well. Um, so uh, Liz, I just want to say thank you so much for what you've been doing. It's, it's been a pleasure having you here with us on the Elevate podcast, exploring these issues, uh, but more importantly, looking at action that we can take and... Uh, I honor you for the, the for, for the efforts you've gone to, to 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 take this issue on and it's an important one because you know, we're living under this idea that all restrictions have passed in england in particular and other parts of the uk but really we've still got these issues in the healthcare settings uh, and other private settings in fact that that we do need to tackle so we can move forward once and for all and make sure that this cultural safetyism doesn't catch hold because uh, otherwise as you've said before it sets precedent if we don't if we if we can't clear these out by the summer and going into the winter, yeah. what chance do we have? So mm-hmm. now, now is the time to act. Now is the time to act. It's really important that we take that action. And uh, I think we all have a part to play. So thank you so much, Liz. Uh, well, thank you for, thanks for giving me the platform because um, obviously we can't, we can't do this unless we can get this out there. So yeah, thank you, Dan, for all the work you do as well. Okay, so you thank you again. So you've been with me and Dr. Elizabeth Evans today, co-founder and director of the UK Medical Freedom Alliance, hearing about the uh, Back to Normal campaign within the NHS. It's time for the NHS to get back to normal. Let's remove these protocols and restrictions and let's focus on providing quality health care with uh, uh, heart and compassion as stipulated in the NHS constitution. Uh, thank you for those of you who watch live. You're watching live the uh, Elevate podcast. Please do join our mailing list at danastongregory.com forward slash podcast for updated uh, links to our interviews and conversations like this one. Uh, You're also welcome to tune in on our audio version of the show on Spotify, Apple and all major platforms. Uh, You'll find our audio content there as well as our video content on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble and other major platforms. So thank you again, Liz. Great to see you. And thank you to our audience for participating in this conversation. The last thing I'll ask you to do is hit that share button. Because as always, conversations like these are are, are hugely important. uh, And uh, the more people that can support, the better uh, and the faster we can create change. So please hit the share button and I'll see you on our very next conversation on the Elevate podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Elevate podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share and subscribe. And you can also check out our video versions of the show on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey and Facebook by searching Dan Aston Gregory. I also invite you to continue the conversation by joining our private community, the Elevate Network, and you can do so by visiting weareelevate.org. Thanks again. I'll see you on the next episode.